Welcome to Real Estate and Coffee. My name is Joel Arndt. Today is Thursday, September 12th, 2019. Here's some Canadian real estate news while you enjoy your morning coffee. Today's article comes from the Real Estate News Exchange, or renex.ca. The headline reads, Big Changes in Booming Multifamily Sector, CAIC Panel. Government regulations are slowing the supply of much-needed new purpose-built rental apartments, and tighter rent controls could exacerbate the problem, according to a panel of senior executives which closed the September 4th Canadian Apartment Investment Conference at the Metro Toronto Convention Centre. Starlight Investments President and Chief Executive Officer Daniel Drimmer said his company is interested in developing more affordable housing, but that would require government policy changes to incentivize it. Those could include bonus density, waiving development charges, and tax breaks, according to the leader of a firm that has $11 billion of assets under management in Canada and the United States, comprised of 36,000 multifamily units and 6.2 million square feet of commercial space. Drimmer believes rent controls already in place in some Canadian jurisdictions are working because they incentivize investors to purchase older buildings and renovate them. That is an interesting point I hadn't thought of, actually, about rent control. Anyway. However, rent regulations recently introduced in New York and Berlin to protect tenants concern Timber Creek Asset Management Senior Managing Director, Chief Investment Officer, and Global Head of Direct and Debt Investments, Ugo Bizarri. So many titles. <laughs> he fears similar legislation could be introduced in Canada. Timber Creek has 10 billion of assets under management and has offices in North America, Europe, and Hong Kong. The government is looking to build more, and I think rent controls do the exact opposite of what we need, said Bizarri. They hinder supply, and frankly, our whole industry needs more supply. There's no denying a housing affordability issue exists in several Canadian, city several Canadian cities. GWL Realty Advisors, Senior Vice President of Multi-Residential, Anne Morash, cited a study by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. It conducted an inventory of 800 communities and found only 24 sites in which a minimum wage worker could, afford, could comfortably afford to rent an average-priced one-bedroom apartment. GWL Realty Advisors has... 39.7 million square feet of assets under management, valued at $14.2 billion. The residential sector accounts for 23% of that. Morash said cities aren't encouraging multifamily rental housing, noting almost one-third of the land in Toronto is zoned for single-family dwellings. There's still a belief that home ownership is better than renting because it's a way to accrue wealth and it's also a way to stabilize communities. The lack of purpose-built rentals has allowed condos owned by investors to fill that gap. 
from a policy point of view, there's an opportunity for municipalities to save the best sites and best places for high quality rental housing and to zone them specifically for multifamily as British Columbia has done. That's an interesting point actually about, um, so you hear about the ownership versus renter, the own versus rent argument for individuals, but on a municipal policy level, I guess that there's an argument for it as well. Do you want people owning homes or do you want people renting? Generally people who own homes, higher income, more financial stability, building wealth over time. So I could see how some cities, some municipalities might not want to actually touch the single family housing zoning because of that. And a lot of Toronto's value, real estate value in, in the single detached market is m massive. So to start unlocking that and putting in higher dent, well, you begin to unlock that and put in, uh, and you know, start to gently densify and you're, you, if you're putting in mid-rise apartment buildings, purpose-built apartment buildings, the value of single detached housing is only going to go up. So, I don't know. Anyway, just an interesting perspective. So that's Anne Morash. Morash is also concerned Airbnb and similar companies in the secondary rental market negatively impact affordable rental housing because they affect both supply and rents. And I wonder if Morash and GWL Realty Advisors has much of an interest in the hotel industry. She cited a study by McGill University that said up to 31,000 units across Canada had been pulled out of the mainstream rental market in favor of secondary, the secondary market. Bizarre said the Federation of Rental Housing Providers of Ontario does a great job of promoting the industry to the provincial government. However, he believes the real estate industry should be more involved in municipal politics. Bizarre said governments could also help by instituting policies to cut development time, noting it takes three to five years to get density approved and another 12 to 24 months for site plan and approvals. For site plan approvals, he'd like to see density approvals within a year. Killiam Apartment Apartment REIT President and CEO Philip Fraser said increased immigration has been the biggest factor in reducing vacancy rates. Killam has 2.7 billion uh, a 2.7 billion dollar portfolio of apartments and manufactured home communities uh, community properties in Atlantic Canada, Ontario and Alberta. Bizarre said the renter demographic has almost tripled in size over 20 years and it's no longer largely made up of university students and immigrants. Many younger people can't afford to buy a house as quickly as before and seniors aren't selling their houses and want to rent in quality buildings. Starlight often purchases older properties and then renovates, which Drimmer said is attractive to renters who want a nicer product. A lot of older stock is generally well located near schools and public transit and has larger suites, he added. There's a dramatic demand for renovated units, even though the rents are higher, 
Drimmer said people will pay more if they're getting the right product and service in return. Fitzrovia Capital CEO Adrian Roca said his company has a core urban strategy focused on Toronto. He likes he also likes fringe urban locations with direct transit links to downtown Toronto, such as Vaughan and Mississauga. We're fo focusing on markets where we believe our cost of capital is most effective, said Roca. The value-add space is a logical extension to our existing development business. Starlight is very focused on investing in Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto, as well as bedroom communities within one hour, a one-hour drive. We'd like to maintain our velocity and growth profile in continuing to buy apartments in Canada, especially in our target markets, said Drimmer. My fear is a lack of product available to buy. It's getting harder and harder to find product to buy here in Canada. With the population increase and job growth in southern Ontario, Fraser said it's the best apartment market in Canada. Killam likes cities just outside the Greater Toronto Area, GTA, including Kitchener-Waterloo and Cambridge. Killam also looks at land and properties with a retail component where apartments can be built. Fraser believes the trend to more mixed-use developments will, come, will continue, which is something we're hearing about in Ottawa. Timber Creek is focused on Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto, and will also look at opportunities in Calgary, Edmonton, and Halifax. Bizarre, Bizarre said it may do more development in 2020 to intensify property it already owns. GWL Realty Advisors has properties in Canada's seven largest markets and has identified Kitchener-Waterloo, Hamilton, Guelph, and Victoria as good, good secondary markets. Morash said the company is partial to cities that attract immigrants and 20 to 39-year-olds, have a diverse economic base, and good public transit. So if you're ever looking for um, market criteria, mar investment market criteria, like there, like that's huge. <laughs> now you know what major uh, a major REIT is following. Or actually, I guess GWL isn't a real a REIT, but... Yeah, they manage a ton of, you know what they're looking for. We like markets and economies that have a thick job market that really implies a market where highly trained people can come and job hop. That opens up opportunities for other people and also creates a support system of professionals that make that market more economically stable. Morash doesn't expect GWLRA's strategy to change in 2020, noting it is pursuing projects in six of its seven major markets. We're actively pursuing assets that are for sale, and we also have a very robust development program. In the GTA alone, we have one billion worth of development that's starting in earnest, or has started in earnest. Looking forward over the next 12 to 18 months, Morash is bullish about GWL Realty Advisors prospects. Three of the other panelists weren't quite as optimistic. Collectively, as a market, everyone's cautious going into next year, said Roca, who believes Canada could easily be pulled into recession. We as a group are looking at more defensive locations. We are overcapitalizing our deals and pulling back on some of the debt load to make sure we can manage a bit of a slowdown. 
so they're making bigger down payments, which is actually something we're seeing in a lot of, I've seen, I'm seeing a lot of, of investors do that actually, um, even on the small scale, putting more cash into their property so that they're higher cash flow. Bizarre thinks Canada is heading for slower growth and small and a small recession within 18 months. We've been in the longest expansion in history and it can't go on forever. A quote from Bizarre. Drimmer believes there will be a significant global economic slowdown in the next 12 to 18 months. However, he believes Canadian apartments have a good risk profile and secure cash flow to weather an economic downturn. So those are some excellent perspectives from major um, real estate companies, REITs and um, developers and investment companies. The biggest thing, the interesting thing is that, that they're looking for incentives from governments, from municipal governments or provincial governments to build affordable housing. And that I understand that. I think there's something that government can do where there's only so much that government can do. And I believe ultimately we're going to have to get creative. I, I don't know. I always point back to Indwell, what they're doing to build affordable housing. Now, Indwell is also a charity, but um, they're doing mixed use development and they're doing, so they have multiple income streams in each of their properties, not just residential tenants. They are designing their houses to an incredible passive house standard so that they're crazy efficient so that the operating expenses are much lower and they're buying up distressed properties. So their construction costs might be higher, but then their capex is nothing. And they're building new units to spec and their buy-in is a lot smaller. So um, anyway, so in terms of affordable housing, like incentives, sure, they're going to help. But I think ultimately creativity, business creativity, uh, architectural creativity are what's going to get really get that job done. Um, Although the rent control piece is a thing. And the ability for landlords to get stuff done when it comes to their own, to their rights. You get things done quicker. So when it's clear, when it's clear that there's an, there's an abuse from the tenant, when that's easily proved and documented by the landlord, I think we need to be able to take action quicker at the very least. I don't know that they have to lighten up on too many of the regulations. I think there needs to be a balance of power there because you do get the idiots who want to abuse their rights as, as, as landlords. And yes, like 
it's it you can't you're offering an essential service and i'd be careful in, in going as far as saying like a utility because it says it's even more important than any of the utilities out there and the utilities are highly regulated but nobody's getting into utilities no individual is is, is starting up a, an electricity company you know or water management or waste management you know company but individuals are getting into real estate so there but the need for shelter is bigger than the need for anything else so there does need to be regulation i think once it's clear that there's an abuse on the tenant side though and this is where i think it's very like the current regulation in ontario is extremely unfair where the current regulation sits even when it's clear that the tenant that the tenant is abusing or violating uh, any of their rights or any of the landlord's rights, like abusing their rights or violating the landlord's rights, the landlords need to be able to act quicker. And because landlords can't act, because we can't act quick, act swiftly, it it's a huge deterrent. You want more rental supply, make it easier to deal with, you know, the, the minority of cases that, um, and that might be a stretch, but anyway, make it easier to deal with the minority of cases that are clear, where the tenants are clearly in the wrong and give landlords in those circumstances the ability to move quickly. And there's confidence then that as long as they abide by the rules, they, that they're safe for the most part. I mean, you're not going to mitigate all risk. That's a part of why we, you know, land, a lot of landlords will charge a premium. You're shouldering the risk, the vulnerability. You're, you're the one being vulnerable, you know, vulnerable, putting your property out there your name and your reputation out there, your credit out there. So anyway, okay, that was a big tangent. I didn't need to go down, but it's interesting that rent control and government policy were mentioned as two big things holding um, these major investment firms back from investing in more affordable housing product. There's also a complaint that there isn't as much product in Canada it's getting harder and harder to find good product. And these guys are buying, these people are buying off, you know, on market, off market. So, and anything listed on market in Hamilton anyway, right now is ridiculous. Cap rates are like, if you have a 6% cap rate in Hamilton, you're doing freaking good on, on a, eight plus unit building like and they'd probably buy into that because and this is another interesting thing that the article mentions it says they're dumping more money into each purchase to kind of weather 
let them cash flow more and let them weather any kind of downturn that might be coming. And I find it interesting that one, only one out of what the four or five groups mentioned here is now bullish on the market and is buying up stock. Like that's hilarious to me. And I actually really like that. But everybody else is, expects these experienced investors, real estate investors, from what they're seeing, they're expecting something and they're preparing for it. Some major clues, some major clues from successful firms and investment firms and successful individuals in real estate investing here. And this is the kind of stuff that is that, uh, you know, us smaller investors can pay attention to and glean from and take notes um, and start to model our own businesses after. Also, the one last thing before this has gone on long enough, but one last note is that in the life cycle, in the real estate cycle, at the top, when uh, at the top of the real estate cycle is when the REITs and institutional money starts to pour in. As far as I understand it, and someone can correct me on that if, if I'm wrong, but as far as I understand it, at the top of the real estate, real estate cycle, when prices are hottest, this is when uh, institutional money starts to come in. Um, REITs start paying, paying more attention and major investment firms and stuff like that because the markets are usually you have stronger economies in those markets generally so in a hot market you generally have a strong economy and you have a de you have a demographic that is financially independent or not financially independent but way more financially stable and there's a lot less risk. The risk profile is a lot shorter. And, and they say that, like, actually, that was an, one of my favorite, another favorite element from this article is they're talking about, these people are talking about the markets they want to invest in, the criteria they use. And they talk about having a diverse economy where people can job hop because that's a, that's a note of economic stability. Well, that comes at the top of the real estate cycle, that's where that comes in. So these people, they don't, they're not putting a whole lot of risk in, so they're not going to jump in into the uh, bottomed out market all the time because depending on their MO, if they're developers, they might. But if the market isn't, if the overall market isn't stable, they're generally going to stay away. Whereas smaller investors have the, the flexibility to jump in in smaller shares in a market that's less stable and you're not going to get hit as hard because you're not you're not relying on the volume of tenants or volume of sales super interesting and and so it just it's a very very bright signal about where we are in Canada uh, in southern ontario anyway i'll say that in southern Ontario, because I know the Prairie Provinces are in a very, very different situation, and out east they're in a very different situation. I mean, we all know that we're at the top of the market, but I think, 
and that there's still money to be made here, but this is like the last step as far as I understand it. This is like the last phase with institutional money coming in like this. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. If you, I'd love to hear what you think. Email me. R-E-Coffee at joelarnt.ca. So that's R-E-Coffee at J-O-E-L J-O-E-L-A-R-N-D-T dot C-A. I'm going to keep putting these out. I put uh, an episode six days a week. I take Sundays off. If you'd like to get notifications for each daily episode, subscribe. I'm on Apple Podcasts, I'm on Google Podcasts, I'm on Spotify, I'm on Radio Public, on a whole bunch of other ones. If you're uh, coming in on an app that allows you to rate the podcast, uh, I would love a rating and a review. It helps others find this podcast. And I haven't talked about it a whole lot, and I'll start to dig into this a little bit more as the vision develops. But I'd love to see a community organically grow, not around the podcast, but around uh, awareness. There are many communities on Facebook, some where I will share these episodes. And... Some of them engage well around real estate news. Others engage more around issues that they're facing. Others engage more around properties for sale. But to actually engage in what's happening in a day-to-day basis in our country, in our markets, I want to see that a little bit more energy there and I want to contribute to that energy. So if you have other articles that you think are worth talking about, I'd love to, I'd love to see them. You can email them to me. If you uh, know of anybody else who just loves talking about real estate, forward these episodes on to them. Um, And uh, let's, Let's create a groundswell of conversation and keep everybody, keep each other in the loop and aware of what's going on on a day-to-day basis. So the more we know, the more dangerous we are, or the more helpful we are, whatever way you want to look at it. Okay, enough out of me. Have a great Thursday.